Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome to Dynasty As They Want To Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well, and I'm getting into the message. Mute. What is going on over there? Your phone is like... (sighs) shit is blowing up in town apparently the hood has got a sex uh sexual conflagration what the fuck are you talking about (sighs) i wish i knew what the fuck these people were talking about because it's like been going on all afternoon all over my phone this is why you do not subscribe to apps that are going to blow up your phone about things that really don't matter but are kind of like mildly amusing in some ways so mm. say what yeah that's that's what they say that's what who i'm not gonna call them out oh this is on the next door yes yes you didn't say that you didn't say that yes okay so you're on the next door app and that's what's blowing up your phone and interrupting our podcast recording uh more or less essentially yes okay so what's happening i'm confused has anyone heard the loud sex sounds coming <laughs> from the Rossmore slash Melrose slash Clinton slash Larchmont area? No, 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 no. I swear I'm really, really losing my mind trying to find where this sex stampede is coming from. <laughs> What? It's not my building because I've done the all hours investigating, but it is, however, plaguing my life and living situation. It's all hours, all hours, but mostly heard loudest at late hours slash early morning. Anyone, someone, please help me figure this out. Wait, so somebody has an issue with sex noises but they're not coming from their building it's like an adjacent building are you talking eyes wide shut style (laughs) with like 100 people there all we hear in our neighborhood is somebody's annoying dog barking at 2 a.m honestly it's not okay i totally understand people were screaming are you okay we honestly thought someone was being injured oh there's there's more coming in oh my god 
uh, David Lynch should just record all this. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of like, I'm ready for, oh, God, so is David Lynch apparently, for the David Lynch take on all of this. I like, like how your phone never makes noises, but now that this like sex noise gate is going on, you're just allowing your phone to blow up in your pocket all day long. Sorry, I can't offer you any relief, but I'd rather loud sex noises than sounds of domestic violence. Uh, I, I actually in agree fact, with that. I agree with that. In fact, when you get to the bottom of it, pun intended, can you also see <laughs> if there's any vacancies? Lull. So, wait, what are, who's caught, oh, I have so many questions. So, is it a man and a man, or a man and a woman? Like, are they, what are the, the description of the sex noises? Oh my God, this sounds so icky and awful. Can the police get involved? <laughs> <laughs> it's not violence, right? Like, this is consensual sex noises? I wonder if someone is watching porn with the sound turned up very <gasps> oh, loud. yeah. Maybe it's not actual noise. Maybe it is recorded. It's a pre-recorded sex noise. This thread is everything. So wait, what are the sex noises that have spurred the community to action so? Oopsies, I guess I didn't realize I was that loud, lol. <laughs> <laughs> You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of when we lived in Brooklyn and there was a sex noise situation in our building. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. How could I ever forget? That one time on like a Saturday night, we were laying. We lived in like um, a loft We were lucky if it was a Saturday night. I think it was a freaking Tuesday night or something. No, no, no. It was definitely a Saturday because we had gone out and it was late at night and we lived in like a loft style building. I know you know this, but I'm just describing it for the listeners. But we lived in like a loft style building with like, what, 15 feet high ceilings? Like super high. Oh, these, yeah, at least. 15 or 20, like super high. And then our- I don't think there even was a ceiling. (laughs) And then our our bed was like up above, like in a little nook that, that had been built into the walls. And that night we had gone out. I remember, and we we drank a little or whatever, and uh, we were laying in bed. And then we just hear our neighbors, who we weren't friends with or anything, and we just hear. I'd never seen these people in my life. I'd seen them before. I knew who they were. Are you but sure about that? Positive. And then we just hear, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the same person making both noises like this. Oh, yeah. I remember this like, but that like went on for like a good 12 minutes. Oh, my God. No, we were laying there. I was admiring him, her stamina. I don't know what the frick was going on. It just kept going on and on. (laughs) It's like guttural like punctuation at the end of it. And we were just laying there and like, obviously we could not go to sleep. And I'm, we're, we're kind of like snickering and it's like, what do you do? You can't go to sleep. You hear your neighbors like fucking so hard. And then somebody else knocks on their door. Go away. Yeah. Oh, we forgot the, the bed. It sounded like a creaky bed. (laughs) 
from like the night. It was like I I envisioned like a bed from like Little House on the Prairie, like I'm like the first ever iron bed from the 1920s. Like, go away, and then just silence, like. Clearly, she was embarrassed for these like beastie noises that she was making. Ugh! And then, like, I'll never forget, like, the next morning or maybe like two mornings. Oh my after, god, it was the worst. I was on the at the subway stop, and then she just—you could see them. You could see them. You could tell. And it's like you're the ones that you're make the mousy librarian. Crazy sex noises, and he's the little short dude who pretends to ride a motorcycle. A scooter. It was a scooter. You were the guys making all that friggin' hocus pocus next door. Yeah. And it's like, I want to be like, good for you. I'm glad you're having great sex like that. But then it's like, uh, you're just being a little weird exhibitionist. Like you're getting off on that. Like you're not actually receiving pleasure from making such animalistic noises. Oh, you're receiving pleasure. Come on. You liked it. Me? I'm here on the stand to testify. Ugh. Perjured. Uh, anyway, this is... Uh, we're going to... I mean, we're always explicit, but this is definitely going to be our most explicit episode. We were literally moaning into the microphones. Okay, let's <coughs> take a break. Let's cleanse our palates. Hot mics. Let's get into this week's episode. There was no sex, but there was a lot of pregnancy talk and a, uh, an apparent drowning. Anyway, let's take a break and we'll get into it. Welcome back. So I think this episode's like got so much going on, as look, the last couple episodes have, but this one seems to be more... Uh, tuned into what's happening thematically. and Yeah, no, we really get Crystal getting mixed the fuck up with Claudia Blaisdell in like... She is just playing with fire. She, she is. This is way above her pay grade. Crystal cannot handle the craziness that is Claudia Blaisdell. And the fact that Claudia Blaisdell is now living in the Carrington Mansion under suicide watch is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. It's cuckoo bananas. And also, like, she and Claudia now, like, have eliminated Matthew Blaisdell, who was their one connection, right? So now it's just the two of them that are left pining well, over the their last lover. the edges are frayed. Like, Claudia is on edge like she literally tried to kill herself and may try to do it again as everybody is freaked out by and crystal why do you think that crystal wants to like connect with claudia i would just like leave the bitch upstairs and room i, I just guest room i 29. just said I, I think that she and claudia have both like listed after matthew and or uh, honestly, like if we were fair, Claudia was married to Matthew and invested but Claudia part of her life puts with him, it but. simply, and actually, as crazy fucking batshit as Claudia is, she has got her head on straight and sees things the way they are. She tells Crystal, "I have lost everything, and you have lost nothing. We both had affairs. So this we both stepped out, and I am the one that's completely suffering." And is that's this, why is this so? Is this like an like a, a justification for outsider behavior? Because I feel like Claudia has like seriously like she's like full on three ring circus bonkers. Oh. 
I do think that we are seeing the depths of depravity that have been in Claudia's mental health issues that have only been spoken about in passing. Like her, the reason for her going to the sanitarium, like we have only kind of heard about it here and there. Matthew said the kind of thing about her seeing bats and thinking people were for sure. You are seeing it here. You're seeing in living color in living color. Claudia, I have no idea where they are. And if I did, I wouldn't keep it from you. Believe me. Believe you? Look, you and me, we did the same thing, right? We did the same thing. We had an affair. You've still got everything. I've got nothing, nothing. I don't have my husband. I don't have my daughter. I've got me. Look at me. Which isn't very much, is it? Is it? I mean, she takes that rose vase that Crystal spends, you know, 25% of the episode working on with the maid Jeanette and she throws it against the fucking wall. I mean, I would have liked to have actually Well, you seen hear it. Her. You don't know that that's really what happened. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen so some it's more all a matter of perception. physicality with that vase. But she definitely is past at Crystal. Well, Claudia might be her own three-ring circus, but she's certainly a one-track mind. She is all obsessed about, where is my daughter? Where's, Where's Lindsay? Baby? Yeah. And you know what? I don't think she's ever going to get the answer to that question. And it's, I don't know, supposed to drive the narrative. I don't really want the answer. I'm glad that her daughter's gone. And I wish she would just kind of accept it and move on. And I don't think that it's an, I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it's not. But it, it really makes her nutso. Like, and we've, like but you said, Tyler, like we've not that's seen her how, until now. If you like, a mother and you have a daughter even though she didn't really want that baby because she had her when she was 16 or whatever, whatever. Well, this leads us into a whole other question about parenthood and, you know, desires and instincts and blah, blah, blah. But that's a, I don't want to get into that. Well, weird. let's get into it no, because Jeff gets into it with Fallon. Mm-hmm. Jeff, who has been super duper himbo, stupid tofu, whatever. Well, confronts- he's, not he's barely a sperm donor in that relationship because, like, she's playing tennis with a freaking robot she would do a lot more with the robot i think if the technology had well, been that the advanced in 1981 shooting stuff at her and you know she's balls you rece- mean? yeah sure so like there's something <laughs> going on there i don't know but and he's like well wait a minute did you just like have this baby because or get prego because yeah he puts it together because he talks to crystal this to me is like what is this strike two strike three Oh, it's like strike 42. Like get he, rid of he her. puts up with Why are so you married much to her? shit. I don't know. I think it's some sort of weird end game and he thinks he needs to be involved with the power of the Carringtons. I don't know. But anyway, he talked to Crystal. He figured out she's pregnant. Of course, Fallon didn't reveal that to him. And then Jeff, who seems well, like a Crystal dumb Crystal and Jeff are both powerless in their positions. So... That's the way that they exchange that information, right? Uh, you know, Fallon is like clearly in the power position in her marriage, and Blake. Yeah, is she's the, a shot caller for so, sure. Yeah, so like that, I think is why he didn't know about it, and it took Crystal telling him that you know she was pregnant. But I do like that he put it together. He's like, oh wait a minute, that's why she was jumping on my D at the motel. Mm-hmm. Like, normally I would think that he wouldn't even put that together, but at least he Chicken did. Chicken and pate. 
Right. Mm, a jar of olives and some wine and, you know, inseminate me. But yeah, he puts that together and he's like, what are you, what are you trying to do? Maybe you can arrange to have it premature and beat Crystal to the punch. Jeff, if that's what you think, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's what you really think. Maybe having a baby with me is a mistake. Isn't that such an so. 80s capitalist greed, like, ideology? It's like, have dis- the baby before anybody else can, I mean, it's a know? disgusting thought, because having yeah, a baby of course. prematurely like, is the, not the, This is the thing. logical conclusion, right? But yeah, he stitches it all together, and good for him. But he also, it's like... Too little, too late. Like he already, you know, finished. Which is funny because he's like sort of like prancing around this whole episode in this like pastel pink sweater, which I realize this is like the early to mid eighties and like pastel pink was like a thing that men were wearing sometimes that they were yuppies probably. And it's like juxtaposed with like the blue room in the dining room and then the bedroom and and then like there's like the whole thing with like Jeanette. She's wearing the same color as the dining room, so she just sort of blends into the walls. Question: How is Jeanette still on staff at the Carrington Mansion? I think I think Jeanette's she, under the radar. She testified against Blake at the murder trial. She's got something on all of them. That's what I think. Is and that not a fireable offense? It's not if you've got blackmail material. So, well, good I think, for Jeanette. Yeah, she's just going to sit back and serve croissants, job security. Her, you know, her blue outfit's going to match the blue walls and she's going to blend in the way that she's always done. Jeanette. Yes, Mrs. Carrington. Who is mistress of this house? You are, ma'am. Thank you, Jeanette. I do love that we have the return of Cecil Colby, or as Alexis Carrington calls him, Cecil Colby. That is probably the received pronunciation mm-hmm. of Cecil. Cecil. And finally, Lord fucking Bachner gets in them opening credits, which he never did during season one, right? Mm, I th- no, I think he wasn't. Uh, no. You know what? You're right. Maybe I don't he wasn't. Think he was. He was kind of mentioned in the ending credits, and now here he is finally. Yeah. Finally, he gets his place, rightfully so, in those beginning credits. Dr. Nicholas Toscani can go fuck off, but yeah, Lloyd Bachner. I would actually move him right up with, like, he's at least Joan Collins level, if not. Pamela Bellwood's level, like yeah, acting and, wise, and, and, and also starring. Not a not a special guest star, but an also and starring. Also. But yeah, he comes in and he gets in the mix of it with Alexis, which I love. So apparently, he was part of this whole sixteen years ago brouhaha with them, and she confronts him with the startling revelation that he is Fallon's father well charity was trying to bring this up earlier but then she was like well let's just drink some more champagne we'll talk about that later yeah but little did we know that cecil colby was the sperm donator well but this kind of like links up to the thing that cecil and blake were talking about at the tarmac at the airport you're powerfully convincing when it's in your own interest now couldn't you have used a little of that talent for me i tried believe me but how do I convince people that a verdict of guilty is anything but that? The same way you get everything else you want from people. By convincing them that your point of view is more profitable than theirs. And that's 
what Alexis is doing with Cecil in her painter's studio, Pieta Terre, whatever the frick, next to the Carrington Mansion. And she's like exercising the same political dynamic with him. I'm not believing it. I'm not buying it. In what way? It's just too unbelievable, and it just seems too convenient. Like, she needs this leverage to get in with everybody. Right, but that's the whole thing about a point of view. That's a subjective uh, place of negotiation, and she's presenting this point of view. Well, the facts don't totally line up, because she... No, they don't. That's that's the great thing about points of view. When she talks to Blake, she's like, remember our honeymoon on Corfu? And he's like, no. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's it's funny, but it also kind of feeds back to the same idea. Yeah, but she's like, like yeah, no, he I, doesn't remember. I no, went and no. fucked somebody else, and then when she's talking to Cecil Colby, she's like, "Well, do you remember when we had that affair?" And he's like, "Yeah, that, that was a one night that stand. one night that I boned you." Yeah, I remember. And she's like, "Well, that is hardly a bargaining chip." Um, that was the night Money. that I got impregnated with Fallon, and I love that. Like, he's like, "Wait a minute." I made out with her and went on a date with her and we almost boned, which I guess that answers our question from the first season, whether or not they did or they didn't, because this ABC soap opera probably wasn't prepared to deal with incest yet. So, Well, okay, that's a thing we'll get to in a minute, but I, I just feel like this really sets up Alexis's total political dynamic in the show She's doing something that really nobody else is doing. And like Blake talks about it, but she's doing it. Well, or Blake does it. And we don't see it or hear You're right. It. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's kind of in like behind the scenes, but like here it's played for drama. Mm-hmm. And she is like clearly established that she is a person who sort of speaks in countertones and, and contextuality and never quite gets like directly to the point. But then like, that's how like she operates and like, and this is really the first episode where you really see Alexis become working what everybody associates with Alexis. Yes. Working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because this is like, okay, she's no longer like she's thrown off the shroud of being like mother to Steven and trying to reconcile with her daughter Fallon. Now it's just like, she's just like straight up going to scheme and connive. Uh, but she's not going to like go straight for it. You well, know? and it's just like I was saying last week, like she started in the back of the house and she worked her way up through the maid and then the mistress and the major domo. And now like Cecil, like she's working outside of the house and it's flawless. Well, this is when that strategy really becomes. These people are too yes. dumb to deal with her. They Even are. if she's lying, and I'm not sure she is or not, and I'll reserve judgment on that. But even if everything that she's saying is a fib, as she says in the beginning of the episode. It doesn't matter because they're all buying it because they're all dum-dums and they don't understand any Machiavellian strategy, art of war. It's it's even more than Machiavellian. Like, that's, like, the foundation. But then, like, she's also, like, saying these things to Cecil in terms of, like, being a painter. So it's all sort of, like, sketchy, literally, and sort of, like, watercolored, right? And so, again, this is, like, this is her her like political scheme. Like she sort of like works in the background and on the outside and just says nice things. But then like, Oh, she says that nice thing to like Cecil at the end before he leaves. Don't force me to tell Blake that you're his darling daughter's real father. (sighs) One night she and I nearly went to bed together. How deliciously May December. 
And I do like that she still is sparring with Crystal, and Crystal is holding her own more than I thought she would. But I don't think that she is actually because like no? again she shows up at Dr. Toscani's hot tub oasis. She's like talking about this friend of hers having an affair, but oh, it's actually just me. I do think the relationship between Crystal and Dr. Co- Toscani, the Olive Garden doctor, is really bizarre and I can't wrap my head around it. Is it flirtatious? Is it professional? Like she's not willing to reveal certain details to him that she's pregnant or that she fucked around with Matthew Blaisdell. He kind of figures it out, which is good because he's a doctor and he's perceptive. So he under he does quickly realize that she's pregnant and that she is the one that she's referring well, to herself. She kind of puts that in his pipe to smoke though. I mean, she's like Oh, well, you know, what about if somebody had an affair with, and then she's like, well, it was me. Yeah. So, well, and and in, like, her, like, in her conversations with him, I feel like Linda Evans has more lines in that scene than she's had in the entirety of this whole show in the first like season and a couple of episodes. Like, she really has a lot to say to Dr. Toscani and doesn't actually have a lot to say. She just suffers from being a vulnerable character, and that's why she just does not have the courage of her own convictions. And I think that at some level, she's relinquished Matthew, and so now she needs somebody to take that place. It ain't going to be Blake, because Blake's more in the background in her life. And so now it's going to be Dr. Toscani. But I think Dr. Toscani, and again, he has his ulterior motive, which doesn't get mentioned at all in this episode, but I think maybe he sees something in her or some way to get in. And maybe the way in is putting a grape, a grape in, her, in her, mouth. her mouth. Like that's, that was a little misogynistic AF. Yeah. That was so weird. If some random man that I just met I a couple like of days ago, Linda fed Evans me a played grape? that as "What are you doing?" Like it wasn't Crystal; it was Linda Evans. Like, what are you doing? Like that well, was like I, a bad acting choice. I, I know, know that, that I've was. made like comments about her and Blake possibly being into BDSM. But like food fetishes is not part of it. No, that's it, that's where she draws the line. Yeah, it was too much. It was very weird. What was also weird is the fact that Alexis pushed Cecil Colby to go confront Stephen Carrington about this whole business about him being taken out of the will. Which is really Alexis's like driving motivation. Like she's got this piece of information now, and she's going to do anything that it takes to convince Blake or Steven or Cecil or whoever will listen for them to mend that bridge. And it, it without really her is, being directly involved, it really yes, and it is hers to be earned because Blake doesn't want that. Steven doesn't want that. Cecil's like. Well, if you're going to blackmail mail me, I guess I can take Stephen to the St. Dennis Club and have a conversation. Well, I do like that when Cecil goes to meet with Stephen, he does present it in his own terms that this is in my interest because the businesses can combine and I can become even richer than I already am. So I want you to make sure that you have a good relationship with your father. And Stephen is so hung up on this fact that his sister probably isn't really his 
full-fledged sister, at least just his half-sister, and it's distressing him, and he's not even able to kind of, like, have an adult conversation about it. But I think it's, I don't know, like, in a weird way, there's an about face, and, like, he and his sister, like, reunite in this episode, which we always said was, like, the sort of, like, gooey center to a very right. hardened candy that is called Dynasty. No, it is sweet that they reconnect, but I do feel weird about it because he has information. Well, and also they're doing it while he's wearing a weird chef-colored denim <laughs> shirt, and she's got the purpley Veruca salt and shoulder pad thing going on. Like it's, it's all I don't know. Like maybe maybe the clothes are not part of it, but they are for me. So yeah, it is definitely weird reconciliation uniforms to be wearing. But that's the choices they made when they woke up that morning. And I don't know. I want to be happy about it because I do feel like they're the only two characters that actually like each other. But then he's doing it from a point of view of knowing that she isn't really his bloodline anymore. Which, can we just say, like, if this was going on well, today... But how do we know that? Is that true or not? Well, I mean... This is what Alexis does. We're just taking that to at To people face value. and to this show. She well, introduces basically what we would call trolling and gaslighting. And like, well... Is she her father's daughter or is she not? Well, darling, 23andMe don't exist in 1981 when this is going on. So it's not an open and shut case. We just kind of have to go on what people are saying. They can't go on Phil Donahue? So that's just going to keep the drama going. Is she or isn't she? I don't know what to believe. Well, there's this whole other sort of theme that runs through this episode, which is like wine and roses. I like those. And pools. Um, Them too. So everybody's apparently hung over this episode. Maybe you don't realize it or put it together, but, you know, Fallon and Jeff wake up in the morning. Yeah, after their motel fuck fest. Right. And yes, that's <laughs> absolutely what it is. <laughs> <sighs> so they're having a redo of the night before or the morning after or whatever the hell. And she's like, I can't believe you're not hungover. And then like, but then like you've got Claudia who's like recovering from like a stomach pump after a whole day of like the psychobarbital or whatever adventure she went on. So everybody's sort of like, sort of like recovering from or recoiling from uh, usage of drugs and alcohol in this episode. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Then there's the roses. Like we had the wine. Now where's the roses? What the frick are the roses? So the roses are... Well, the roses is on the floor oh. after Claudia gets at them. Well, first of all, Joni goes and picks all the roses from the garden. Which, oh, that's which, right. At the beginning of the episode. That's like a psychological trope from way back. Like, oh, you picked all my roses in my garden. Like, what is what does that mean? Well, that's that's like my my dreams, my hopes, my 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 life's investment, and you've come and just taken them all away, right? And Crystal's pissed about it. Yeah. She even like complains about it, which seems she ain't fronting for that. Like mm-hmm. a silly thing to scoff about. And then and then you've got Crystal bringing the roses, but it's interesting. She brings red roses to Claudia. I know. I thought that was so weird that they were red. It seemed inappropriate considering they both had their vaginas on top of Matthew Blaisdell. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, right. This is a stand in for their love for Matthew Blaisdell. They both 
are standing for Matthew and he's not there and he's gone. And so Crystal's going to bring up a vase of red roses, you know, and Claudia, interestingly, is at, at her dressing table or at a dressing table because she don't really live there. And it's I do like, like how comfortable she's made herself in the Carrington Mansion, oh, though. Well, you know, she's got on to some other level of mental instability that she's comfortable wherever she is, I think. But Good for her. Yeah. And you know what? Live in your own reality. Live your truth. No, that's like I was saying. We're finally getting a taste of what drove her to the sanatorium. And speaking of crazy stuff, we've got Steven after having one too many at the St. Dennis Club. Al Corley is doing his drunkest. Well, this, is, this is more of that wine and roses crap, you know? Like, he's he's just, like, off his ass on, I don't know, too It many kind coronas. of comes out of nowhere. I had no idea that he had been over-served at the St. Dennis Club, but he's in the library Poor with Al Blake. Corley. He is, like, Al- no bueno at yeah. drunk acting. Oh, no. It's really, really bad. The writing is actually okay, but yeah. he's not pulling it off. It's, like comical he's like tripping over furniture and setting his blazer on lamps and he's really trying to sell it and it's like mm, too much he does say that fun thing about blood you know the family blood as as he's wearing a red sweater and playing with a dark red blood colored yeah well and i think that was okay but then all of a sudden no his acting kind of like the sort of uh, it's it hammy tore up all of the meaning that it's was a christmas there. ham yeah. and then when he runs off down the hallway i thought like he had to puke but then he's just like running and running and running and then nicholas toscani and crystal pull up in not the delorean but in no, her car crystal's rich bitch 520 sel or whatever yeah and poor drunk steven is just stumbling through the yard hits his head a la Ted Denard on like the diving board and then falls into the pool and is just like night night in the deep end. This just seemed like some little drunken escapade, but it's really serious. Dr. Nicholas Toscani does a Michael Phelps into the fucking pool, pulls his ass out and then is doing CPR mouth to mouth, which is like, I think more than we ever saw Ted Denard and Al Corley ever do. Uh, This might be our only time that we ever see Al Corley without a shirt on. Oh yeah. So when he's in the hospital, he's all hooked up to the equipment and we see nips out and Al Corley's chest. And I guess he's like near death and Joan Collins. Uh, Normally, she's flawless, but she doesn't really do stressed out hospital mommy well because it's just so melodramatic and so over the top. And she's like, mommy's here. Mommy's here. Can you hear me, Stephen? Wake up. Your mommy's here. And then she like goes into Blake's arms and is like, oh, our son. And it's just like. No, no, no. This isn't one life but to live. But you have to wonder, is this just for the optics? Because she does it right there in front of Crystal and Nick Toscani, who but even the are bald, fresh off a coffee cup blowjob in even the, the break room. Even the bald ER doctor isn't buying this schmaltzy routine. At the end, it's so soapy. Like, the last 10 minutes of this show, like... So many things happen, and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And now Stephen Carrington's life is hanging in the balance. I mean, 
we know he's going to live because he gets replaced with another actor at some point, right? Spoiler yeah, alert. I don't think that happens just yet, though. No, I know. I know you're like jumping the gun on that one. But. I know, I know. But I'm just saying I, I'm i not really afraid. And I don't think anybody watching this in the fall of 81 was really afraid that he was going to die. Or maybe they did. I don't know. But I'm interested to see where it goes because there's a lot of different dynamics at play. And the fact that Cecil Colby is, is in the mix again is really great. And I actually, I hate to say it, but I... I'm kind of not minding Dr. Nicholas Toscani. I think he's providing a interesting outside perspective to the women of Dynasty. Well, he is a lens through which you can see mm-hmm. the story. However, as a character, I find him goddamn annoying. And we're resuscitated. Kyler, what was your look of the week in this week's episode of Dynasty? Um, My look of the week was definitely Steven's bizarro chef denim shirt thing in the kitchen with the acid wash I uh, What was going on? I couldn't wrap my head around that. No belt on purpose, might I point out. It literally did look like he just came straight out of Hell's Kitchen with that on. Why was he wearing a shirt? I I felt like he like jumped into a pile of clothes in the clearance section at merry-go-round, and was it supposed to be fashionable? Oh, I'm sure that it was, and you know, maybe it were. I, I I you know, look, it looked good and looked good on him. So who am I to complain? I'm just pointing this out merely as. As uh, something a little bit different from everything else that you've seen on this show. Well, it is true. Steven doesn't really get enough attention for his outfits. And I think out of all the male characters, he does pull off the most daring looks. I think about like back in when the trial was going on, there was a blazer he was wearing that had like a leather patch detail that was sort of interesting. We never talked about that. That leather patch, that's a funereal homage or something or other like that's a you wear it because somebody you loved is dead oh well like his father was supposed to be because Mm -hmm. he was on trial for first degree murder in a rare sweep we have two male characters that have been bestowed with the look of the week i'm choosing dr nicholas toscani's tracksuit we only get a little glimpse of it in the hospital at the very end but my God, it made such an impact. So it's like a terry, like a gray felt or whatever material. And then it's got bright red details on the shoulders. I've never so seen anything like this in my life. he's changing tires on an Ascar loop. Yeah, you think that he's like a professional race car driver? I mean, he does drive a DeLorean. Well, he doesn't just drive a DeLorean. He's always fixing the DeLorean because Uh, even when it was new, it was always like under repair daily. Yeah, and I love that that's like a plot line in Dynasty. Like even Dynasty in 81 realizes how (laughs) shitty the DeLorean was because it's... I think that was shade because like Ford provided all the like regular cars. So they're like, "Mm, we got to shit on DeLorean. But you I'm want just, the sexy car? You got to be so, fixing it. I'm know? so confused. So I love this tracksuit. He's wearing it after all the brouhaha with diving into the water after Steven. But like, did he just have this tracksuit in 
his possession? Did somebody at the hospital provide it? I mean, because he was in Crystal's oh, you, you car. You think this is what they hand out when you walk in the, the hospital? Like this, I should this, hope This is your so. sanitary wear? Yeah. Like, oh, you saved a life today? Well, here's a gray jumpsuit with bright red shoulder details. But he was in it. He wasn't in his own car. He was in Crystal's car. He drove her back to the Carrington Mansion, and then he saves Stephen. And then they end up at the hospital. So this can't be a tracksuit that he owns himself, right? So somebody just loaned this to him. I think this is forced logic. I I think it's very possible this is just a tracksuit he has, and he wore it. And sorry. I mean, the only thing that I could think is that he practices at this hospital. And it was like in his office or something. It doesn't matter. It's a hot fucking tracksuit. I would it's, wear it's it. It's charcoal gray and and fu orange red. Yeah, it's it's a certainly a statement of color and silhouette. We've never seen a man on these episodes. Jeff Blake, Ted Denard, Cecil Colby, you name it. They are not wearing bright bold colors like this. So even though no, it sounds like Colby was wearing that like baggy like Telly Savalas trench coat thing on the tarmac, like yeah, there's, there's so much bad male clothing on this show, right? So the fact that we get like a sexy little tracksuit, and I will say we did see Doctor Nicholas Toscani in some jeans earlier on in the episode, and I have to say they fit him well. I really still think they were Crystal's jeans. Oh my! It's like some foreshadowing. Of what, I don't know, but... Well, his ass looked great in them. Well, that's another episode of Dynasty As They Want to Be. Kyler, thank you so much for joining me. What an episode. God, the pleasure just never stops. Oh, my. Wait, are you still referring to the sex thread that you're reading on the Nextdoor app? Or No, I'm I'm referring to the haystack of Crystal's hairdo with that weird straw-colored jacket she wore at the hot tub scene. It's like a big pyramid of hay. You just can't get over that steaming hot tub of Dr. Nicholas Toscani. Well, it's better than a steaming pile of shit, I guess. Well, this episode definitely wasn't that. Thank you so much for listening to Dynasty as they want to be. If you want to follow us on social media, which you should, our handles are Nasty Podcast, N-A-S-T-Y Podcast. And we're on Instagram, Twitter. We even have like a Pinterest account. We have an Elo account, which I posted on for the first time and actually got a little bit of attention on. Uh We'll see you next week for the episode titled Reconciliation.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.